He is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even the tongue, even so, the tongue, this little member, boasts of great things. See how a great forest, a little fire, kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue also is set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets fire to the course of nature, and it is set fire by hell. Every kind beast and bird, a reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But let not no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in similar similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring form th- send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a tree my brethren, bear olives, or grapevine, bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Thank you. Good morning. Um, welcome if you don't fellowship here normally, uh, you've come on a good Sunday, it's Soup Sunday, so um, there'll be lots of goodies afterwards, so please stay for some fellowship. Uh, I'm James Stockley, for those of you who don't know me. Um, Terry is of course away eating burritos and uh, enjoying the sun, um, so much, on some much uh, uh, some well-earned downtime um, with his family, so um, I hope... Uh, you can see that the reserves have been mobilised and uh, you're bearing with us. But um, let's pray and we'll uh, then open God's word. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that we can gather together. Um, Lord, grant us soft hearts and uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, I've been working through James and um, Lord, help us be doers of your word just not hear not just hearers and uh, lord uh teach us to um teach us how to speak to each other um thank you that uh you never leave us hopeless and that you give us the ability to change lord guide my tongue as i present your word in jesus name amen so we've been, uh, we've been working through the very practical book of James. The Bible tells us that uh, we need to attest or examine ourselves to see if we are actually in the faith. The book of James certainly helps us do that. James asks the hard question, does the profession of your faith match up with your lifestyle? Or can you... Walk the walk as well as talk the talk. James provides a series of practical tests to examine whether or not your faith is in fact genuine. Uh, In week one, um, we looked at what the Christian response should be to trials and temptations. 
In week two, we covered favouritism. And last week, uh, Stuart did a great job of reviewing uh, faith and works. Today, we're going to look at the tongue. And then next week, we're going to get a chance to look at the two kinds of wisdom. So the question of, is my faith genuine, um, is one of the most important questions that you can ask. Eugene, in week one, said that uh, genuine salvation is the greatest, the greatest gift you can possess. Um, I think it's one of the greatest tragedies um, to warm a pew for 60 to 80 years and then go before the Lord and the Lord to say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you look at statistics, there's um, 2 billion Christians roaming the planet, but the Bible tells us that the gate is narrow and few will enter in. Titus 1.16 says, there are, there are those that profess to know God, but by their actions deny him. 2 Timothy 3, the book of Jude, Acts 20.29, 20, 2 Peter, shows us that within the church, there will always be those that infiltrate our ranks and um, these are the apostates or the false or pseudo-Christians. The tares or the weeds and the wheat will always grow together. In the, in the final judgment, many will say to Christ, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that in your name? And Christ will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. The book of James is instrumental in helping us examine whether or not our faith is actually genuine. I think as a background, it's important to note that spiritual fruit takes time to grow and you don't plant a tree and then you're harvesting the next day. Similarly, sanctification takes time. Um, at salvation, we become new creations um, and it takes time to put on those new clothes and take off the old clothes. Um, I know that, and uh, hopefully you know that, and James certainly knew that. Uh, but the point of James is this, that genuine salvation should result in a transformed life, changed behaviour, and walking out the good works that he has created in advance for us to do. Uh, if that's not the case in your life, then I think you have some genuine concerns with regard to your salvation. Today, James examines the tongue. James 3.1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. James is letting the assembly know that the role of the teacher should not be entered into lightly. Teaching is both a trust and a responsibility, and it carries with it potential consequences. Teachers will be judged more strictly and they will be held to a, a higher standard. We all give an account for the words that we speak, uh, but teachers more so. Teachers' sphere of influence is greater and their potential to do harm is also greater. God takes very seriously the role of teacher. Uh, if it's done faithfully and it's done well, then the teacher is worth double honour. 1 Timothy 5.17. But the reverse is true. The punishment for false teachers is severe. 
2 Peter 17 um, tells us that there's a special place reserved in hell for the false teachers and that um, the blackest of darkness is, is reserved for them. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. The book of James draws really distinct um, lines with regard to uh, what Christian behaviour should look like. Um, and in the middle of the book of James, um, there's this verse, we all stumble in many ways. And, um, and I'm glad that it's there. It's kind of like Romans 7 where Paul talks about or confesses his sin and says, uh, for what I want to do, I, I don't do, but what I do, I hate. Uh, and it's, I guess it's, re, it's reassuring that um, James here is saying that the Christian life is not one of perfection. In fact, of course, there's no perfection this side of glory. Um, we do, for sure, stumble, uh, all stumble in many ways. Uh, 1 John 1.8 tells us, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the, and the truth is not in us. James here is not excusing sin. He's, he's just acknowledging the fact that sin is going to happen. It's essential that as Christians, um, we acknowledge our faults. Um, hopefully those faults become less as we become sanctified. But uh, acknowledging our sin, is, is, it really makes us real and honest and humble and, and approachable. Uh, in my job, I get to do a bit of teaching and um, I get new graduates and, and um, physios who haven't been out for very long and the ones I worry about are the ones that come to me and say, and well, the ones who don't come to me and the ones I know are going to be okay, they're going to be say, James, I'm, these are my areas of weakness, this is what I'm struggling in, this is what I want to work on. The ones that don't come and have a pretense of perfection, um, they're the ones I know I'm going to have some work, work to do with. Um, someone who lives in a perfection bubble um, is really hard to live with. Um, these people have difficulty acknowledging their sin and take no responsibility for their actions. I really like what one presenter said, and he said, uh, these people are responsibility Teflon. Nothing ever sticks to them. Uh, instead of acknowledging their faults, they employ these things. They spiritualise, they rationalise, they minimise, they deny and they blame shift their way out of their behaviours and acknowledging the truth. Uh, now, we've all done that to some extent uh, and what the book of James is getting at is that one of, the, one of the markers of genuine salvation is that a truly regenerate man is able to own his mistakes. A little later in James, he tells us what to do with those mistakes, that we are to confess our sins to each other. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Uh, if you do wrong before God and you do wrong before your fellow man, um, you should feel convicted. This shows that the Holy Spirit is alive and well within you. Conviction should lead to confession, um, and that confession should be specific uh, towards our actions. Um, 
the Bible tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance, uh, while worldly sorrow leads to death. Uh, repentance, repentance is a turning from your sin. It's, it's doing a 180, whereas worldly sorrow is, is just being sorry that you got caught. Um, I think these things are true markers of genuine Christianity. Um, we, need to, we need to be able to acknowledge our sin and to have relationship with others and have relationship with Christ. We need to see that we are um, um, sinners. Why would we need a saviour if, if we don't sin? Uh, James 3, 2b. I'm doing well, should get you out for about three o'clock. Uh, uh, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. It's clear from our first verse there that no one outside Christ is able to keep his tongue perfectly. Um, remember that James is um, Jesus' half-brother and he got to see what perfect speech was. Wouldn't it be hard to have a brother like that? Uh, so he had a pretty good, good reference point of perfection. But uh, what, um, what we, the reference to perfection here is more likely to be a reference to maturity of speech rather than absolute perfection. A mature man is able to control his tongue. We see here in the second part of the verse that James uh, links the ability to control the tongue with the ability of a man to control his whole body. How does that work? Well, the same spiritual disciplines that, require, that are required to hold the tongue are the same spiritual disciplines um, that are able to be employed to control the rest of the body's fleshy appetites. So that self-control, that fruit of the spirit, that's, that's what he's talking about. In chapter 3, we see the reverse of this, that an uncontrolled tongue affects the whole person. So I put together a little list of what does it look like to have a, a mature tongue. Um, it's not an extensive list, but I, I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, a mature man's conversation is gracious and it's seasoned with salt. He's able to deliver the truth in love. He's prayerful and thankful. He's not a liar. He's put off falsehood and he speaks truthfully. What comes out of his mouth is not unwholesome, but it's edifying. If he boasts, he boasts in the Lord and not in himself. He praises God and gives him glory. As we've seen in previous weeks, he is slow to speak and quick to listen. He knows his audience. He doesn't throw his pearls to swine. Knowing your audience will help you greatly in choosing your words. I love the quote by a guy named George, uh, George Bernard Shaw who says, if you wrestle with a pig, you get muddy and the pig likes it. <laughs> or if you, uh, if you want a biblical reference, if you mock a mocker, you invite insult. If you correct a mocker, he will hate you. The mature man is not afraid to speak out against hypocrisy and injustice. 
We see this with Jesus Christ when he confronts the Pharisees, where he calls them a brood of vipers and you whitewashed tombs, and Paul when he, when he takes on the Judaizers. Um, we see it in his public rebuke of Alexander, the metal worker. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. Think about that adage that says, if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. That's a falsity. Um, there's, it's okay to deliver the truth in love, and sometimes that rebuke needs to be firm. Uh, anyway, that's not an exhaustive list, but it gives you a few markers of mature speech. Um, the mature tongue, it, it should be different to that of the world. It's a real pleasure when you see you know, an old saint who's, who's seasoned um, in God's word and, and years, and you, know, you see how he speaks to others, you know, how his words are not many, um, and that you know, he's able to deliver um, the right word at just the right time. Uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, of course, is the master of this, uh, uh, and we do well to look to our author and perfecter of our faith uh, when it comes to the matter of the tongue. I could go on with that, but I would have you here till three. James 3, uh, 3 to 5. When we, put but, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or well, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The metaphor of the bit and the rudder um, shows how a small device has an incredible ability to control. The tongue is small, but it also has the ability to control and shape our lives. I love um, Warren Wiersbe's commentary and what he says on the tongue. He says, it's the world's smallest but largest troublemaker. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power over life and death. It's no wonder David prayed his prayer in Psalm 141.34, which says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline my heart not to any evil thing. David knew full well that the heart is the key to right speech. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's inside you, Christian, will eventually come out. Your tongue will reveal the genuineness of your salvation. A bit and a rudder has the power to direct both the horse, horse and the ship. Uh, the effect of your tongue on is, will affect not only your life, but those around you. A runaway horse or a shipwreck can destroy you and others. A runaway tongue is no different. That nursery rhyme that goes, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Another falsity. Uh, the scriptural perspective of the tongue is that it's a weapon and it can be used for either good or evil. Its effects and implications are far-reaching. Never underestimate the power of your tongue. 
and the impacts it can have. Um, who hasn't had a, had a coach or a teacher or a spouse or a friend whose words have spurred them on to, to bigger and better things? And um, unless you live on a desert island, I'm sure you've experienced the other where uh, someone has spoken to you poorly and, and minimised you and, and made you feel small. We all remember those times from, from adults and, and, as, and as kids. Um, as in my job, you know, I'm a physio by trade and um, you know, I get to hear lots of people's stories and uh, it's amazing how touch makes people open up and, and share what they've gone through and um, you know, I've heard a lot of stories over the years and um, I think some of the saddest ones are the stories of abuse that I hear. And I think a lot of people think um, verbal abuse is, is a lesser form of abuse. And uh, it's, it's just not true. Uh, words create scars, um, which are just as real as, as, as the, the scars that physical violence um, um, causes. It's just that you have to look a little harder to see them. Yeah. We, need to re we need to remember the power of our words um, and the impact that they can have. Uh, uh, James 3, 5b. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. It doesn't take too many summers uh, in Australia to observe what the devastation of a carelessly thrown cigarette butt or an open, an open fire can have on our bushland. A tiny spark can ignite thousands of hectares. Uh, fire's properties are amazing and unique. If you get a glass of water and you empty it out, that water doesn't become a flood. But uh, the smallest of sparks has the potential to expand and destroy exponentially. James says the tongue is a fire. Uh, it has exactly the same properties as fire and can cause equal amounts of damage. It's amazing how just an innocuous comment can lead to an argument which then leads to World War III. Um, the other day I was playing golf with a, a group of guys who, who I didn't know and um, you know, we're on the first tee and everyone's having a good time, you know, the sun's shining, the birds are singing. Uh, and about four holes in, um, one guy had walked behind another guy and uh, the guy having his shot sort of duffed his shot and uh, he then started having a go at the guy who walked behind him and the, the guy he was having a go with then responded and you know he had a real go at him and, and let him know in no uncertain terms exactly what he thought of him. And then for the rest of the 14 holes the two guys didn't talk to each other and it was despite the fact that the guy who, who gave the initial, initial insult apologised within a minute or two the damage was done and that's the way it is with our words. Once they go out of us, um, you can't get them back and um, it takes a lot to rebuild some, some of that trust. You see the power of the, the word in the Bible. Think about Haman's tongue in the book of Esther. Um, one man's speech almost turned, the, you know, there was almost genocide of a whole, the whole Jewish race um, if it wasn't for God and his intervention. 
Um, and there's plenty of examples within the Bible of how people's tongues result in absolute carnage. Um, the tongue is a fire. We see this in, in Proverbs 26, 20 to 21. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers, as wood is to fire, so a quarrelsome man is to kindling strife. In the next part of James um, 3 verse 6, we see probably the strongest commentary on the evils of the tongue. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue is a world or a cosmos of evil. That could be translated that the tongue is actually a system of evil. The ability of the tongue to, to hurt is almost limitless. It's said that you can't do everything, but you can certainly just about say anything. Think of, think of what the tongue is capable of. Lying, slander, gossip, abuse, rage boasting, foolishness, just to name a few. The tongue, the tongue corrupts the whole person. People are going to know you by what you say. You, there's no way that you can divorce your words from the rest of your body. What comes out of a man is what's inside him. It sets the whole course of a man's life on fire. The ter that term used there, the, the whole course of his life in the Greek, um, invokes the idea of you know, the circle of life or the wheel of life. And what, what that means is that the tongue affects every facet of your existence uh, and also affects all those that you come into contact with. So in a, an unruly tongue, it will it, alienate your friends It'll destroy the intimacy in your relationships. It'll break hearts. It'll ruin reputations. And it'll get you fired from your job. Lastly, James says the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. The tongue, without doubt, can be a tool of Satan and a good one at that. Um, the, that last verse there is really going to resound with James's audience, um, the Jewish Christian, because hell here refers um, to the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna is, of course, the eternal place of burning where demons and unbelieving souls go. But to the, to the Jews, Gehenna is also an actual place southwest of Jerusalem, known in Hebrew as the Valley of Hinnom. Prior to King Jehai's reign, it was um, a place of child sacrifice where they took the children and they placed the children on the altar to the god Moloch and they would burn them. Um, Jehiah, Josiah abolished this practice and the Valley of Hinnom became Jerusalem's rubbish tip. The garbage, the dead animals, 
the criminals, the bodies of the criminals, they were taken to this place and they were burned here. It became known as Gehenna of Fire because the fire would never go out. This place stunk to high heaven and the Jews regarded this place with great hatred. Verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man has tamed the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If any of us uh, make a trip to the zoo or the circus, you can see, you can see people you know, ride killer whales. Um, you can see them stick their heads in the, li- in the, in the mouths of lions. Uh, but James here is saying that no man can tame the tongue. The tongue, the tongue's just waiting. It's just waiting in your mouth there. It's, it's, it's chomping at the bit. It's, it's um, just ready to do evil and it's waiting for its opportunity. The tongue wants to control. It doesn't, it doesn't want to be controlled. Humanly speaking, the tongue, it's, it's not tameable. Uh, it's, it's important here that James does not say the tongue can't be tamed. What, what he's saying is that no man can tame the tongue. And God, of course, through the power of his Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to, to tame our tongue. Um, no different than it gives us the ability to change any of our, our other behaviours. We are new creations and we can replace our old behaviours with new behaviours. That's, that's an active process. Uh, it involves us turning ourselves over to God's will and then enabling, uh, and from that he enables us to change. That really is, is what the process of sanctification is about. Um, and it's the proof, well, one of them, of genuine salvation. James 3, 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. So remember here that um, James is writing um, to a Jewish audience and the Jews were really well versed in praising God. John MacArthur uh, provides some excellent insight into this area and he's, he says that whenever the Jews were, were mentioning the name of God um, they would respond blessed be he, blessed be he three times a day the, the Jews would repeat what is called the Shemaiah Ezra excuse my pronunciation but um, it's a benediction, which is basically a, a, a collection of 18 prayers. And each, each of those prayers finishes with, Blessed be thou, O God. So the Jews were, they were really well, 
accustomed to praising God. Yep. And what James is doing here is he's contrasting this and says, with that same mouth that you praise God, you also curse his creation, those who are made in his image. James is bringing to light the, the hypocrisy of the tongue. Uh, in verse 10 there, he, he rhetorically confirms that praising and cursing together is wrong and it shouldn't be so. The marker, the marker of, a, of genuine salvation is a tongue which isn't duplicitous. In 11 and 12, he goes on to expand further on this and he says, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Uh, my brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine figs? Neither can, salt, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James, what he's doing here is he's letting, he's letting nature teach us what's plain and obvious. Like reproduces like. In out the back of my house, I have an apple tree, a mango tree, and a lime tree. So if I was strolling out in the backyard and should happen to notice a pineapple growing off my fruit trees, I would think, hmm, that's quite unusual. In fact, it's wrong. Um, similarly, if I go to have a drink from a, from, a, from a tap, and that tap normally has clean water, and then that tap one day has rancid water and then it keeps alternating between good and good water and bad water that's that's not normal um, and this is this is James's point um, like in Matthew 7:18 that says a good tree does not produce bad fruit so it should be with the Christian genuine salvation is seen in our words and how we use our tongue the tongue is a the tongue really it's a it's a litmus test of your conversion. If your tongue is inconsistent, there is something wrong with your heart. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. New creations means new tongue. So if you find critical, abusive, defamatory speech, um, uh, that really is not representative of a true believer. Now I can hear some of you thinking, um, sometimes, sometimes our fresh, our fresh water has a bit of saltiness to it. And James knows this, but what James is doing is drawing distinct behavioural lines. We know we all stumble in many ways, but the point is that nevertheless, uh, that true conversion should be seen in changed behaviour, um, but not a perfect life. I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to close with this, um, and I hope you find it like a warning, but also helpful. Um, the The book of James, as well as the book of One John, uh, uh, give us excellent insight into what the markers of genuine salvation are. Uh, we should uh, use these markers first to examine ourselves to see if we ourselves are in the faith. 
you know, uh, look at the log in your own eye. But um, secondly, uh, these markers also help us be discerning with regard to the character of others. Um, and unfortunately, not all um, who profess the name of Christ um, have Christ's interest or your interests at heart. Uh, in my introduction, I, I referenced 2 Peter, Jude, 2 Timothy 3, and Acts 20, uh, Acts 20 29 as examples of apostasy. Because the, there are those who infiltrate the church and they're capable of doing the body great harm as well as yourself. Um, the greatest enemy is often, the greatest enemy in a war is often those. Um, which are behind enemy lines. Like the devil who who masquerades as an angel of light, and like the wolf who is in sheep's clothing, um, there are some individuals who are not easy to identify. The weeds and the wheat, they grow together, and it's not till harvest that you can tell the difference between those two plants. We do well... We do well to know the scriptural indicators of true Christianity. James, 1 John, the fruits of the spirit of Galatians 5. And we also do well to know the markers of apostasy and false teaching and false prophecy. A profession in Christ is not a green light to let all your defences down. Proverbs, Proverbs tells us that we should guard our heart as it is the wellspring of our life. Be patient. Be patient if you see an individual make a profession of faith. Watch and, and have a look and see if their profession of faith matches their lifestyle. Trust should be sl- slowly earned. Proverbs tells us that a righteous man is cautious in friendship. John MacArthur writes that time is a great exposer of the truth. And time is also a great test of genuine salvation. Haste makes waste. Or, if you like, in Proverbs 19.2, it's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. We need to be hospitable to outsiders and, and um, those you don't know, but you also need to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. The Lord wants us to be loving, and we should really, as Christians, be the embodiment of love, um, but it, he also wants us to be prudent. I'll leave you with this first in Proverbs. The prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. The fool continues on and suffers for it. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Sometimes it's not easy to hear. Um, Lord, I just pray um, that you give us soft hearts. And um, Father, when it comes to when it comes to 